Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Just wanted to introduce um, Gord Martin. Now, Gord is uh, not new to us here. He's come all the way from Ontario to be with us for this special service of the commissioning of Pastor John, and we're very thankful to have him. And I should just mention that um, he represents Vision Ministries, which is what we are a part of. Some of you wonder, well, what denomination are we? Well, we're not a denomination, but we are associated with a group of churches under the umbrella of Vision Ministries, and Gord is at the helm of that. So we are very pleased to have him come, and I'll just ask him to come up. Thank you very much, Beth. It's good to be with you all here again, and you have a most excellent greeter at the front door (laughs) because he remembered me and even though I haven't been here for some time and he said, you know what, Uh, you could make a habit of coming here, perhaps you could become our associate. (laughs) 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 So it's true, we work with a network of about 200 churches from coast to coast and uh, we began to pull these churches together in uh, 1992. And so it was a lot of work, a lot, I I can't hardly believe what has happened since then. In 2001, I believe we had one immigrant church. Today we have about 40 immigrant churches that are a part of this. And I sometimes wish that you could come with me. Uh, Yesterday I had four meetings in Calgary, uh, one with a guy that looked at least skin color like me, And then I met with uh, three people from Burma who are starting a new church in Calgary. And then I met with a fellow from Ethiopia. And you know that in Ethiopia, churches like ours, evangelical churches, have gone from 2% of the population in 1974 to 20% of the population today. It's huge. And he said to me, I said, how many Ethiopians and Eritreans? And Eritrea is a little sliver off the edge of Ethiopia but they really were one country uh, before that. How many are in Calgary? He always said about, he thinks about 12 to 15,000. Now, that might take us kind of by surprise that there's 12 to 15,000 Ethiopians in Calgary. So I met with him, and then I met with a fellow from Nigeria who had a vision, and he felt God calling him to Canada. So here he is trying to start a church in Calgary, and he calls his uh, church Worldwide Acceptance Ministry. (laughs) I can tell you that Africans have no lack of vision. They see possibilities everywhere. They don't ask if anybody's done it before or if it's difficult or if anybody else is for them or if you have insurance or money. They just say, God told us. So they have something to bring to us. And I often think to myself, I know that those who are coming to our country, and many of them are believers, and of these 40 churches that we are connecting with, 
Some of them were already believers in their country. They are bringing a strength of faith to us that is hugely challenging. They have something to bring us, something to offer us. We have something for them, but I have the feeling that they have just as much to bring to us as we have to them. So two weeks ago, no, last Sunday night, I was with a a Persian church in Toronto. These are all people from Iran. This is not kind of maybe our favorite country, if it's possible to be prejudiced. There are about half a million Iranians in Canada today. They are more open to the gospel than any other country from the Middle East, by far. So last Sunday, 16 were baptized in Vancouver. And two weeks ago, the group in Toronto uh, had a special evening for a marriage renewal seminar. They had 18 couples who renewed their marriage vows as Christians. I talked to the pastor afterwards. He said it was an unforgettable evening. Uh, This is a a church where everybody there is a former Muslim. So when I go to preach there, which I did last Sunday, uh, the place is about 170 people now. Young people that have just been coming, they are wide open. Now some of them are a little crazy, And some of them are bringing complicated lives and problems. But God is at work among them. And so it's a delightful thing to welcome them, uh, to work with them. Uh, When I go there, this is the most, they know about hospitality, you know, almost as good as you guys. (laughs) They are very strong on hospitality. And so it's been a great delight. I was with them last summer. They had uh, a baptized 26 people in one day at a campground. And it is so good to see people converted, saved, baptized, who know where they've come from. They know what they're leaving behind, and they know what they're embracing. And so that's some of what is happening. So my responsibility these days for Vision Ministries Canada is with immigrant churches and with overseas projects. And so I've uh, slipped away from the overall uh, leadership of the organization to this more specialized role, but it is so fun to do. And um, as I say, I just feel that I'd like to make you a little jealous because it is such a delight to be with them and to see what God is doing among them. I'm gonna say a little more as we go along. Today, We're here for a very special occasion. This is for the commissioning of Pastor John View and at Millerview Community Church, and his job description includes these words. You will disciple, coach, coordinate, and mobilize congregants to... You know who you are? You guys are apparently congregants. Did you know that? Maybe you need to say to yourself, I am a congregant. Uh, To reach out into our community and world. I love the look of this. And so I'm not going to let anybody forget it uh, because that is the kind of role. This is not just that he can come and do the holy activities here at the church. He is here to mobilize, to get you to do the things that God is calling you to do, the things that God has equipped you to do because he's not the only priest in this church. The Bible says that all of us who are in Christ are a part of a holy and a royal priesthood. 
So that for us to say, really? The Bible calls me a priest? I better straighten up a little bit because it's not just anybody going to McDonald's or some other place. It's a priest walking in the door. He's here for that purpose, to disciple. And the word disciple is kind of like to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. To coach, that is to help you because this matter of following Jesus seems terribly challenging at times. Sometimes just sheer frightening. This was actually the thing that kept me from committing my own life to Christ as a young person because my mom and dad were serious disciples. And when I saw how they behaved, oh boy, I was afraid as a young person. It was fine as long as I didn't care what other people thought. But when I got to high school and began to care about what other people thought, watching mom and dad was downright scary. I remember that um, in our family, I'm from a big family. There were 10 children in my family. I'm the eighth. So that when people ask me about birth control, I said, don't stop before you have at least eight. (laughs) But in our family, every morning, we read a chapter from the Bible and all of us kids would read take a turn reading the verse. And we read all the way through Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We didn't skip anything. We read verse by verse around the table. And then we would all get down on our knees and dad would pray. And I remember a day when there was a neighbor, uh, a neighboring farm to ours. And the neighbor came over while we were in the middle of our Bible reading. And I remember dad saying to him that, well, come on in. You can wait over here. We're in the middle of our Bible reading and prayer this morning. So when we're finished, then we'll talk. So we kept reading our verses and we all got down on our knees and dad prayed. So when I got to high school and began to realize that I was a part of a whole mob of teenagers and I was worried about how I fit into all of that mess, living, being a disciple was scary. Uh, because I actually knew what it meant. I'd seen it my whole life. So he will disciple, coach, coordinate, get you to work together. Actually, working together is one of the kind of challenging pieces of the Christian life because it's when you are working together, you discover that while you can sing together and worship together and pray together, when you're actually starting to work together, oh, they're not all perfect. And so... Uh, he's going to coordinate and mobilize. He should be getting you to do things that you are scared to do. Does that sound good? Aren't you glad he's here? <laughs> because he's not here for to keep you feeling safe. He's here to get you to do what God has equipped you and called you to do. And if you're not a little scared by some of those things, then you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. Some big truths from 1 Timothy. The first one is this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I've seen this on billboards and all kinds of places, but that's actually why Jesus came, is to save sinners. And, you know, sinners come in all kinds of stripes. They are kind of nice sinners and not-so-nice sinners and well-practiced sinners and people who are trying not to be sinners. There's all kinds. But Jesus came into this world not just to be in the manger at Christmas time. He actually came for the purpose of saving sinners. When it says saving sinners, it means that he came to save them from something. He came to save them from judgment and accountability. 
Now, this makes us all a little squirmish. Many of us don't even think about being accountable to God. It's like, what would that be like? To have to give an account to God. But when you read the Bible, you're pretty aware that that's common. That God cares about how people behave and he's looking for people who will walk in his ways. All through the Old Testament, he's looking for people like that who will walk in his ways. When Jesus came, he came for this purpose. Because he, God could see that there's kind of a lot of sinners on earth. Some of them not as bad as others. But all of them tainted with that selfishness that loves to have it my way. And even when we pick the one person out of the whole world to be our spouse, then we discover that, oh, even they seem to be like to have it their way. And they want to reform me or I want to reform her. So that it shows up everywhere. Jesus Christ came into the world. This deserves full acceptance. Everybody should say a big amen to this. So why don't we try it? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Amen. All right. Now, does that include people like me? Yes. Includes people like you? That's why he came. So we... When we are, the reason I chose this verse is because I want us to have the idea that this is a big thing that, God, that John is called to. He hasn't come here to do something little. He's a part of something very big. When I look around at the world and watch the news, read the news, there's trouble everywhere. We used to sing a song, Is There Trouble Anywhere? Now we say, Oh, yes, there is trouble everywhere. That's why Jesus came is to deal with that problem of evil. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one person who came to address this issue of the sins of the world and sinners with their sin problem. One mediator. Mediator is a nice word. When we're having problems in our relationships and somebody comes who is a mediator, they are able to sit down with us and we can sit down with them and we can explain our side of the problem and this other person that we can't agree with explains their side of the problem. And this mediator somehow is able to make it possible to make this problem seem smaller. And it's possible for us to actually make peace with each other. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. One. We sing. We were singing here this morning about this mediator. It's a big thing that God is addressing the sins of the world. A big thing to mediate between God and men. And he actually goes on to say later on that he gives us the task of being reconcilers, reconciling people to God and to each other. So when we sing, it's because there are big things going on. God is doing a big thing among us and we are able to enter into to a little piece of that. And God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. This was my first favorite verse as a sort of senior teenager. Because all the way through high school, I'd been nervous and afraid about what everybody else thought, and so I behaved like I thought I should behave to fit in with all of them. It wasn't getting me very far. Here, it's not God who gives us that, gives that spirit of timidity and fear. When Pastor John is trying to mobilize you for something and he asks you to do something you've never done before, then I want you to remember this verse. 
that God hasn't given you, provided that he asks you the right thing, uh, <laughs> that God has not given you a spirit of fear, don't be afraid. Because if fear is your only problem, it's no big deal. Because God is constantly with us to address our fears. Here he says, if you've got a spirit of fear, it didn't come from him. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from our own insecurity and fears. It comes from the enemy who says, you can't do that. It's not God who gives that, but he gives a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So when he is mobilizing people and he's asking you something you've never done before, this should be your favorite verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It's because when you get to do things that you are afraid to do, you can't do them in and of yourself, but you say, okay, uh, if this is what God wants me to do, if this is God speaking, then I'm going to do it, and you're going to start taking steps. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing to discover, like discovering that God can meet you at your point of need over and over and over again. It's when we sang that song this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness, morning by morning, and I'm thinking, oh yes, every day, again and again, finding him to be faithful. You don't find that by just sitting in an armchair and watching other people have faith and you sing about it and they practice it. It's not that. It's when we ourselves are beginning to take steps of faith and we find God is with us, we think, oh, this really happens. That's something that all of us need to be a part of. So Paul writes and he said, Timothy, you know my example. Remember, let's read this together. Remember Jesus Christ. Oops, let's all read it together this time, okay? <laughs> Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Timothy knew Paul very well. Remember this. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. That's it. <laughs> I wonder how many of us would have guessed that that would be our gospel. We're thinking, just a minute, Paul. What did you just say? That's the gospel? Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Oh, descended from David. You know, a long, long time before, God had said to David that I'm going to raise up one of your sons, one of your descendants, is going to be a king of a kingdom that will never end. That's what the Old Testament said. The New Testament says, he has come. His name is Jesus, that one who was promised long ago, who would be the king of a kingdom that would never end, has come. His name is Jesus. He has been raised from the dead. Well, why did he have to get raised from the dead? It was because people killed him that God sent his son into the world, and people said, no, we don't want him. They killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And why did he do it? Well, he came to save sinners. So this is my gospel, he says. It's all just in a really short little phrase. And we might think, oh, Paul, it's a little bit too short. Uh, for which I am suffering. And he says, you know all about me, Timothy. You know about my way of life. Wouldn't this be a great thing to be able to say to anybody? You know my way of life. Just think about it for yourself. Could you say to somebody, you know my way of life. The way I have lived, 
That's how I'm asking you to live. Just like that. My purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Now, when I think of this commissioning service, and I think of what was going on in the first century in the Middle East, what was going on there, and what is going on in 21st century Canada is quite different. Here, we're saying the message was new. Nobody had heard this before. For us, the message is old. This message has been around for a long time. People in Canada say, oh, I already heard that. So it's quite different being a follower, a disciple, a, an apprentice of Jesus now than in the first century. In that context, there was violent resistance, persecution, people getting stoned in the traditional sense. Our context is one of indifference and contempt. People say, okay, well, if you want to believe that, that's what, just don't bother anybody with it. That's what it's like in Canada today. Or maybe kind of quiet contempt. So the context is quite different between then and now. The message came with power. Paul says, I didn't just preach the gospel to you with words, but with power. Well, what kind of power? Well, it's when sinners turn around. And when they submit to God and begin to walk in his ways, they are being transformed. It's when you see people transformed, that's the kind of power that we're looking for because it doesn't happen easily. In, for us, the message is so often just words. Uh, my wife and I lived in Ecuador a long, long time ago. And there was a song that used to be on the radio back then, a girl singing in Spanish, and it said, Solo palabras. The whole song was nothing but solo palabras, which means, anybody know what that means? Just words. The whole song was nothing but just words, just words, just words, just words, just words, and sang a whole song with nothing but words. You know what? We don't want to be doing that here. It would be a shame if at Miraville, we just came together and it was all just about words. It's a message with power. The message was clear. It was to die for. Paul was quite prepared to die for this message. And for us, the message is often ambiguous. I have so many times talked to groups of church leaders and I say, so why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? And if I ask these people all in the front row, one says this, somebody else says that, somebody else says a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth thing, it's so common, not very clear about why exactly we are here. The Apostle Paul said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He said, I'm his ambassador. I was called to announce this message. In our case, too often, the message is all gummed up with all kinds of things that we want to do, and it's not that they're not all good things, but we can't do 15 things with all our heart and be clear about what we're doing. The messengers were in jail. I had um, in my, uh, I'm connecting with leaders of church networks from about 18 countries right now. And this fall, I did a conference call, a video call with three of them. One was from Australia, one from France, and one from India. And we talked for about an hour and a half and at the very end, I said to them, so what do you do with, if you have pastors or church leaders who get in trouble or who are discouraged or down or flat for some reason or other, what do you do? The man from Australia said, well, we have a fund for that. 
and we provide professional counseling for any pastor who requests it. The man from France said, you know what, we're not able to do that. But we do provide sort of volunteer support in any way that we can. The man from India said, we try our best to find lawyers to get them out of jail. I could just see the man from France, his face just, his complexion just changed. And I thought, you know what, maybe he didn't understand me correctly. So I rephrased my question and I said to him, so actually, you know, Solomon, what I meant was, like if a pastor or a church leader is discouraged or, uh, <laughs> uh, he said, well, a lot of our pastors have been in prison. What a difference. There, the messengers were in prison in the first century and it's still happening uh, in lots of places. Here, the messengers are often professionals. It's quite different. Suffering expected as the norm. For us, suffering a big surprise. Like, why should that happen to me? But if we die with him, we will live with him. But the second half of the phrase says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. We like this phrase in Canada, but the other phrase, not so much. There's a big difference. And when I look at this, I say to myself often, how can we practice this Christian faith in a country like Canada faithfully and courageously so that it looks like the same message that was being proclaimed in the first century? We live in a country of tolerance and freedom. People come here. And whenever, I, whenever we have some kind of a prayer gathering, our pastor from Iran never fails to say, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful country in which we live where we have such peace and safety and freedom. Over and over and over. He knows what it's like not to have that. But do we know what it's like to follow faithfully? This morning, I read something in my Bible that I didn't really like. Uh, it goes like this. It wasn't actually part of the Bible. It was uh, a little phrase. This is the New Living Translation. And it said something that surprised me. This letter tends to be fairly personal, but many of its instructions are still helpful for church leaders today. Really? That's not the inspired part. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? For us to say, how can we take this seriously and practice this seriously by faith in a country that has freedom for anything except for people saying that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, when we say, no, this one is the one that God sent, that message is not going down so well. So tolerance starts to reach its limits in Canada around that time. And so for us, you know, we're polite. So how polite should we be? And how forceful should we be? This is where we are caught and struggle, and I think legitimately, it's not because we're trying to make trouble, we just want to bring the peace that God sent us to bring. This is what I want you to do, Paul said to Timothy. I want you to be godly, I want you to be an example, to be pure, and to be ready to suffer and be persecuted. That's all. But the standard is right up there. And, uh, and so it's deeply challenging to every one of us command or insist and teach 
Do the work of an evangelist. Be careful how you communicate with people. And there's a lot in these sections here all about how you should communicate with older people, with men your own age and older men and women, how you're to behave with all of them in the church. And then he says this, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. So there isn't a good reason for quarreling in the name of Jesus. You get that? Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has them captive to do his will. I find that hugely challenging because some of us are by nature a little more timid and we tend to find the verses in the Bible that encourage us in our timidity, turning the other cheek and so on. That's true godliness. And then some of us who are a little bit more mm, bullish by nature, <laughs> we find those passages in the Bible that urges us to be strong and forward and tough. And, and, uh, but this call, here this is from somebody who was prepared to suffer, be persecuted. He says, follow my example, but he says this also. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. So if you need to quarrel to make your point for God, you might be on the wrong track. Able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. That's a great passage for all of us who are priests of the living God. And he adds this word here, and there's more to this. Delegate carefully. There's a lot in these letters about who should be elders and deacons and who, you sh who should receive funds from the church, lots of delicate stuff. He said, go carefully and cautiously. And of course, we could say lots more about that. The goal of my instruction, he says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So it matters how we behave here which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, that when we come together in a place like this, here we are gathering as sinners who have been saved and who have been redeemed and who are learning to be apprentices. And he says, I'm writing this to you so that you will know how people should behave themselves in the church, which is God's household. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's actually what we're trying to do. So all of our preaching and teaching, our singing and our prayers and our gathering and our fellowship, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Love that comes from a heart that is pure. That's what we're actually looking for. We're not just trying to teach people memory verses and books of the Bible and learning the outlines. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is that all of that instruction is for this purpose. Love from a pure heart and a good conscience that we're settled on the inside about who we are and how we're living as apprentices of Jesus and a sincere faith. That's what all of this instruction is to produce. So I would like to invite um, Pastor John Few and the elders Janice and Glenn and Bill and Beth Schmidt to come forward. If you would come forward um, just now. And John, why don't you come right over here into the middle and, and if the rest of you would just gather around him. That's good, so that everybody can see you. Now, there is a powerful verse that I want to read for you 
And it says, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, John View, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a big command. He is being called in the sight of God. We're not just having a little chat here this morning, but in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, I charge you to keep this command without spot, without any deviation or messing with it, without spot or blame, so that nobody will be able to charge you with wrongdoing until for the rest of this year. <laughs> until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a day of celebration because we believe that God has brought us together, has brought John and Sandra to the church here to provide help and support and uh, to be a mobilizer of the saints here at Millerville. This is a big calling. We're all part of something big. Brother John, oops, John twice here, for emphasis, John, John. <laughs> this commitment to serve Jesus our Lord in the context of Millerville Community Church is a most serious calling. Now, I know that John is not Timothy's age, and he's been around a little bit. <laughs> but it's still very serious. You have been called to a ministry of discipling, coaching, coordinating, and mobilizing the congregants at Millerville to reach out to their community and world. Therefore, in the presence of God and these witnesses, please repeat after me. I, John View, I, John View promise before God and these witnesses to live and work among you as a servant of Jesus Christ. To live and work among you as a servant of Jesus Christ. As Paul commanded Timothy. As Paul commanded Timothy. I commit to maintaining my own spiritual health. I commit to maintaining my own spiritual health. So that I can model the Christian faith with integrity for others. So that I can model the Christian faith with integrity for others. I commit to doing the work. To which, I have been called, to which I have been called with love, with love faith, faith, courage, courage and, diligence. and diligence. Amen. Amen. Well, <laughs> you know, this is a wonderful day. A day for us to realize how great a thing God has done for us the great privilege that we have to be called into his presence and into his service, not only him, but all of us, but for him particularly today. And so I would like to pray a prayer of dedication. So if you would all just lay hands on him and I will pray. And why don't you all stand with us? And why don't you just join hands in your rows as a sign of solidarity with us? Don't be shy. We're praying. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. I thank you for the way in which you have transformed us and are continuing to do so. Thank you for your great patience. Thank you for your grace which pours out to us over and over and over again. That you have shown us great mercy. Thank you for the way that you have called John to yourself, for the way that you have been at work in his life. Thank you for the way that you have been faithful to him. 
that for him to sing, great is your faithfulness, morning by morning, those words can have meaning for him that only he knows. So Father, would you strengthen him? Would you empower him? Help him not to be afraid. Help him to be gentle at the same time. Father, we are asking this morning that you yourself will be with him, that your spirit will be upon him and in him, that the name of Jesus may be high and lifted up in this place and in this whole community. We're asking this in your presence. And we pray that this may happen, that we're not just doing church here for another year or two or five or ten. But we are expecting you yourself to be among us, powerfully at work among us. May it be so, Lord Jesus. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. God bless you. Awesome. Millerville Community Church is a non-denominational country-style church with a huge heart for God. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.